Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and welcome to VoiceWorks Sound Business, the podcast for and about people who make the world sound more interesting, covering voice tech, audio, radio, and on this episode specifically, podcasts. I cover a wide range of issues on this podcast, from the latest news to kind of tips and tricks, and we're going right back to the beginning of your podcasting journey on today's episode. This is one for you if you were just starting out on your audio journey, because I'm speaking to Michael Olatuji from the Outset Studios about the five classic mistakes that can kill your podcast. Those little things that we see repeated again and again by people just starting out with their new podcasts that can sometimes torpedo a show before it even gets started. And these are mistakes that, as you'll hear, Michael has seen and heard firsthand whilst operating his studios in London and Manchester and offering a full-service podcast and video production service. All the links to what he does are in the podcast description, but let's get stuck into this. Those five classic mistakes and how you can avoid them. Michael, how you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks very much for your time on VoiceWorks Sound Business. Thanks for joining me. You've come up with your five classic mistakes that can kill your podcast very dramatically and why, importantly for this conversation, how you can avoid those pitfalls. Before we get into the list itself, tell me, are these things that you've seen happen firsthand when you've been at Outset Studios and seen podcasts start? You've seen these mistakes happen time and time again. Yeah, so like, um, I guess we've been around for five, about four to five years now, and we've seen like a range of different sort of podcasters come into our studios. So we've seen from really professional setups from like bigger production companies, and then the more solo sort of content creator who's trying to get into the game. And having that range of like experience working with these different sort of creators, you get to see very common themes that kind of work to make a podcast be successful but also like sometimes very simple and fundamental things that kind of ruin the trajectory or the success of a particular show or the quality of a show as well so yeah it does come from extensive experience working with loads and loads of different podcasters basically what was your background before outset studio because obviously you've been doing outset for five years i mean for some people podcasts haven't existed for more than five years it was like a covid thing and it came out of nowhere yeah yeah. we all know they were going for longer so did you have experience of podcasts before that or is it kind of like a a relatively i mean half a decade still a decent amount of time in the industry isn't it but a relatively new thing for you as well when you got into it yeah, so relatively new for myself. So my background was mainly in advertising. So working with brands to help them digital advertising. So I worked with an array of brands who wanted to build an online presence. And that was mainly through ads, um, YouTube, PPC, paid social, all those good things. But my business partner, he's been a videographer working with sound and film for 10 years plus. And he was the one that actually brought podcasting as a medium to my attention and like you said for most people it's very new it was maybe I guess the US was a bit more advanced in terms of being on that wave but even like five years ago it was still quite a new phenomenon and he sent me a link to a podcast we listened to it and then he was like oh let's make one ourselves." um and basically, that's how we started our journey together. We never we never made an actual podcast, but that's how we got into the industry and sort of for actually maybe there is something here that we could do slightly different. Cool. Well, there's loads of people starting 
new podcast journeys every single day. It's a growing industry at the moment. So let's get into your five mistakes and five fixes as well that could help people on that podcast journey. What's your number one? Number one is definitely comes down to preparation. When I see, like I said, the bigger sort of productions like the BBCs, the Spotify's and stuff, generally those podcasts, those content creators have a lot of preparation and planning that goes into it. And if I do on the flip side for most solo or smaller content creators, they don't have that level of detail to terms of their preparation. So preparation covers a lot of things, but the number one thing what I see for preparation is research. So sometimes people have an idea for a show. It's usually like, like for some of my experience, there might be a few mates who come together and say, we're going to start a show together. That's one end of the spectrum. But then I also see another end of the spectrum, which might be like, let's say an entrepreneur, someone who wants to get into, who is like an industry expert, who wants to have podcast as a medium to talk to his audience or their audience should I say and they think okay let me start content as well I want to get into the content game it's important it helps my marketing helps my presence let me get into it but in terms of the preparation one thing I always see is they don't do enough research so research in terms of okay what exists out there in the market that people can listen to already that is on a similar topic or adjacent to what you're doing. That's one key question I would always think, what is out there? What are people currently listening to that's working well? And how how does my show, how does my content differ to it? Or what learners can I take from that? So a general example that I always see is we see quite a few football sort of content shows that come around. So a lot of people who have football podcasts who want to talk about football on a weekly basis or bi-weekly and they kind of come into our studios. This is just one content type. And we've seen it all. We've seen people who, like I said, some mates who just sit together and they just give their opinions, but out in the market, that exists already. There's so many different like sections of football content. And if people just done the preparation and the planning, you can see where you fit. Without looking into what exists in the market, you don't know, okay, cool, I'm going to make my content, I'm going to make my show, but what what exists and how can I be different? What exists that's really well, that's doing going really well, and how can I take those learnings? Or what exists that's doing quite poorly and how I'm going to make myself different than what exists, right? And I think when people start looking at podcasting as a sort of product that is competing for people's attention, then you start to understand that actually... The idea of me just sitting behind a microphone and giving my opinion or giving my viewpoints or my expertise isn't enough to cut through. Almost think about it from a business perspective, like I'm in a market, it's competitive. Customers have this range of different products and shows to choose from. How does my product, where, where do I fit in within this market space, basically? That's one question I would always say to people to think about when they first decide, I want to create content, I want to create a show, I want to make a podcast. It's very specifically preparation around your audience, isn't it? It's who are your audience? How do you find your audience? And why is your audience going to listen to your podcast? But it's an interesting point you make in terms of looking at the current market, because it's the same as launching any product, I guess, to a certain extent, in that why would you make a product that already exists in the marketplace if you couldn't do something that's better than what already exists, if that makes sense? So exactly. you have to report a difference. And if you were launching a new washing powder, it would either need to do its job better or be cheaper than the alternative. That's kind of the, exactly. the angles you look at. So if you take that to a podcasting basis, it's finding that niche, finding that little angle. But at the same time, I think that step can be hugely overwhelming for podcasters particularly if you're new into the space and one of the things that i think we see quite a lot with new podcasters is there's a kind of 
a freeze of almost there's too much to do almost there's too much preparation to kind of be getting hold of and there's too much focus on like well i'm just going to buy this bit of audio kit or i'm just going to prep with these different research tools or i'm going to use some different editing software and it's kind of that that ongoing spiral of just going to do this one more thing do this one more thing do this one more thing before launch so how do you kind of balance those things how do you do enough research but not let it slow you down at the same time yeah i think there's um what's that saying paralysis by analysis so there's sometimes taking on too much information or doing too much research to the point where you don't actually take action. And when I'm just saying, for example, just seeing what's in the market or seeing what exists, I would just say that's just a simple sort of process as in like find, let's say free. You find free shows that exist in the market that people are listening to, that people are engaging with. And you just find free, you can go on like Spotify's categories to make it easier for you. You can search on YouTube. If you're not sure that something like that exists, you just think about the general category your sort of content would fall into. And you just search so-and-so podcasts. Like if it's health and medicine, you look and you just have a listen, have a listen to a few episodes and just take key notes. You don't need to have extensive lists or you know, five page business plans, but it's just for you, especially as a creator yourself and a producer, it's just for you to understand the appetite and what exists out there because all the, that information, even though at first it might seem a bit daunting, it might seem a bit long, that's helping you in the long run in terms of starting the right way. And also the other thing is you don't also have to have all the right questions or all the answers to your questions at the very beginning. Sometimes you actually just start in and getting actual live feedback from your audience and stuff is the best way to do it. You know what I mean? It is a good way to do it as in you build as you go along. And this researching process isn't just a one-time thing. You just don't do it one time and then you're done with it. It's a continual like process that you update, you know, whether it's quarterly, at the end of every season, whatever pace that works well for you. But with anything, when you're talking about a crowd, not a crowded market, but you're talking about people's attention, we've just got to be honest and see how people engage with content today, right? It's Netflix, it's um, YouTube, it's TikTok, it's Instagram, it's LinkedIn, it's all these different places where our attention is divided upon. And we just have to understand that and be aligned with that in a sense. So we know how we stand out and we know how we cater to the people that we eventually want to, to consume our content, basically. It's a great point, not being afraid to pivot your content, depending on re- extra research that comes in, information you gather, feedback you get from your audience or other places, not being afraid to just move around and not stick on the thing you've decided to do just because that's what you decided to do at the outset. So that's a strong start. Yeah, yeah. Your second common pitfall, inconsistency. Talk to me about that. I think there's a stat that says the average new podcaster only does about five to seven episodes. And if we talk about audience building audience building is usually a long process because it's building trust you're building trust with people and there's so many things that come into that people need to know okay cool i like this person i like their show i like the content they need to know okay every thursday or at this time or every saturday i can expect x y and z to upload content that i like right so that's just a basic form of consistency But what we see is, you know, there's that new buzz, there's that new excitement behind it. And after seven, they just kind of stop. It's probably because they expect things to happen a bit quicker. And they start to realise, actually, this thing isn't as straightforward as I maybe thought it was. It's not as easy as just pressing record on a microphone. There's actually loads of elements that go into making it quite successful, right? So that's inconsistency, for example, just not getting past the seven. And 
if we think about some of the bigger ones, and I know these things are all scales, like let's say we take the Joe Rogan podcast, for example, that's probably the biggest podcast probably in the world. And if we think about the sheer volume of episodes this guy's released, I think he's on like 2,000 or something. That is consistency. That is every week putting our content from the start, even when he didn't have a large enough audience, that was him being consistent and saying, I'm going to continue and push through and make sure I'm delivering content that's quality every single week. And then, you know, eventually see the benefits. He eventually saw the benefits of that strategy. I'm not going to say if we just record 2000 episodes, you'll be as big as Joe Rogan. But the principle is consistency helps, particularly when most of other producers are stopping after seven. If you can get over seven and be more consistent, there you're already cutting above what most new podcasters are doing, right? The second point about consistency is um, consistency doesn't necessarily mean I have to record an episode every single week and drop it at Sunday um, at 11 a.m. There's different ways for you to release your content and have different schedules, right? Some people it's weekly because their content is more topical and it's more based on current affairs. So they have to have quite a, a schedule that keeps keeps up with the pace of what's going on. But there's other sort of content, like other sort of podcasts and content, which can take a bi-weekly schedule or have a seasonal schedule where, you know, they might do six episodes per season, eight episodes per season. But the main thing is that people know that you're producing something and you release it and and whatever content schedule works for you, you make that clear and your audience is also aware of that, right? So you don't have to feel under the pressure to, I have to release something every single week. If that flow doesn't necessarily work for you, you can't commit to that time or the, the type of content that you produce doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily time sensitive right um so that's another way to think about it actually i don't have to do it every single week i can do it every two weeks or i can record loads of episodes let's say eight and i can release that over the space of eight weeks and that could be my season done if you compare a netflix series to like eastenders for example you can still get your consistency but they're very different sort of release schedules and you just need to find out what works well for you what works well for the type of content that you're you're producing and, and just communicate that to your audience so that's another form of consistency the third form of consistency that i see is um consistency with your brand and again, this kind of goes into having a different sort of mentality in terms of being a creator and seeing what you produce, what you put on the airwaves, what you put on the internet as a representation of your brand. And the inconsistencies that I've usually see is one, inconsistencies in quality. So for example, if you have a home setup, that's fine. You don't necessarily need like a fancy studio. You don't necessarily need all these things to produce good content that your audience engages with, right? But sometimes there's inconsistency in terms of, okay, what's the environment you're setting up in? You know, if I if I log into your show, is it usually a, a similar setting that I see? Or if, if your show is one that travels around, that's also fine. But do I get the same feel? Do I get the same feel, the same quality on a consistent basis whenever I, I choose to watch your episodes? Does your set, if you do have a set, does it kind of match your branding? So at least even if I'm scrolling on YouTube, I can see the thumbnail. I can see the first few seconds of your show and I know this is x podcast i know this is x show so that's where the consistency also helps so one release more than seven episodes two is having a release schedule which works for you and then three be clear on your brand 
be, be clear on your personality and let that brand and personality show throughout, right? From the way you speak, from the quality, the video quality, the audio quality, from your presentation of your of your show, but make sure that branding is consistent throughout. So you mentioned the consistency of release and that seven episode figure, which I always find quite startling. And for me, I think a lot of that, as you kind of touched on, is an understanding of what goes into making a successful podcast. It's not just sitting down and hitting record and chatting for an hour and you're done. There's the prep, there's the post-production, there's the outreach, there's the marketing, the the list goes on and on and on. And I think you need to fully understand that if you're going to avoid pod fade. But at the same time, one of the things you mentioned a couple of times is the provision of video, which makes perfect sense given what you do and the work you do at Outset Studio. But I think also at the same time, that can be something that can be the enemy of consistency because it's another task, it's another expense, it's another thing that you add to the workflow. Mm. So how how important for you, slightly off topic this, slightly off what you're talking about, but how important for you is having a video accompaniment to your podcast, your audio product? Yeah, so, so like um, there's different research on it I think there was one research I need to I need to remember where it's from but they said that YouTube actually is the number one sort of channel where people do listen to podcasts yeah that was in the Edison podcast research share of ear I think it was called recently yeah yeah so um and YouTube is predominantly a video platform right so again if we just talk about audiences and knowing where people are and how they engage and how they behave if most people listen to their podcast on YouTube and it's a video platform it makes sense in terms of that sort of reach and having that additional sort of video content to accompany where your audience is, right? That's why I think it's important for number one, because your audience cares for it. Number two, like you said, marketing and outreach, right? Obviously, there's many different channels. But again, if we talk about people's behaviours and stuff like that, most people use social media. And again, social media is kind of predominantly becoming more of a video-first platform, right? And again, if we talk about I need to build an audience, I need to, you know, find new people and find new listeners to maybe engage with my with my show, to, to become listeners, to become subscribers and stuff, that video component becomes an easier way for you to distribute your marketing message, bits of your content to attract new audiences. Okay, we'll move on to your third podcast killer, which is low quality content and production, which I guess... This must be something you're passionate about, given that you've set up Outset Studios to help people improve their content. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I just want to clarify when I mean low quality content and production. Obviously, I'm in the business of producing high, from having content of high production value. But content quality doesn't just specifically mean the quality of your audio in the video. One thing I've realized with content, and we can all see it, is that sometimes content that is entertaining useful or valuable can still work pretty well so far it meets those criteria so sure. we've all seen those people like um sometimes on youtube i like stand-up comedy and sometimes on youtube i watch stand-up comedy shows which is where you can see a comedian give their performance and it's not usually the best audio or video content but it still gets millions of views because yeah. it's entertaining. It's the actual content itself is, is quality, right? And when we talk about quality content, it's just about where it fits in. It's either really educating, it's really entertaining or humorous, or it's a combination of those two, right? So that's one thing I want to clarify about the quality as well. 
if let's say for example you have the best lighting the best cameras the best audio quality and your content is flat or it's not delivered in the right way that's not going to bypass the fact that your actual content itself isn't great right video audio captures content right it just captures it great cameras great audio equipment great microphones great light make sure your content is captured in the best way possible and released to your audience in the best way possible but the actual quality comes from the creator itself i'll say the value of the content comes from the creator itself it's really refreshing actually to hear people talk about that i think in terms of the priority of actual content versus quality i think you you maybe let's refer to it in that stages because i i I agree with you 100 it's not a 50 50 thing and it's great to have something that looks and sounds good and at the end of the day you've got horrible scratchy audio or terrible video you you are going to turn your audience off but the most important thing at all times is making sure the content that you're creating is good or valuable or funny or educational. It's got to be good if you're going to stand a chance of getting any audience. Exactly. So that should always be the priority, even before people come to us or or they decide I want to invest in loads of equipment or loads of like really expensive tech. The first question is, okay, here's my idea. Here's here's my show. Here's the structure of my show. Okay, what can I work on to make the actual quality of the content better? That that should be the first priority. What does my audience like? What kind of audience do I want to tap into? And how do I ensure what I deliver is something that they like? That ultimately is what's going to keep people listening, coming back. And that's what people are going to spread the word of mouth on. They're going to go, oh my gosh, did you hear this show? It was so funny. That's that's the conversation. They're not going to go, oh my gosh, did you see the show? It was in 4K. I'm going to be honest about that, right? So that's point number one. But two is, okay, when do I think quality, as in the actual quality of equipment matters? I think it is important. I'm not going to sit down and say it's not important. But I think it's important in the sense that Again, if you think about consistency, if we think about things being competitive. So let's take two shows, for example. Two shows competing for summer's attention. Let's say the quality of the content is equally as good as each other. Let's say they're both really educational. But one's audio is way clearer and one has video, which is just so much crisper. Their set is more entertaining, it's more engaging just from a visual and listening experience. The one that has the visual, exp- the better visual experience and listening experience, nine times out of ten, more likely going to perf- outperform the one that's got equally as good or entertaining content, but it's just not on the same standard of quality, basically. So that's what I think the quality matters. It matters from the, u- the end user's listening experience or viewing experience. And if we're talking about attention, if we're talking about competing against other shows for people's attention, usually the things that look better and sound better sure. capture people's attention more. But I would never prioritise the quality of recording over the quality of content. Quality of content is always number one. In terms of producing high quality video or audio from a purely visual audio perspective rather than the actual content side if you were going to give one tip to someone and that tip isn't allowed to be book yourself into a professional podcast studio what would that tip be in terms of kind of how to ensure that you are creating the best product you can create so i'll say visually what people need to understand for video is lighting matters so how you light the room how you light your subject that's what helps people see you more clearly right and it's not just as easy as putting on 
let's say a webcam or your camera thing and turning on your ceiling lights. Your ceiling lights might not have, might not be the best for your tone. You know, all these different factors happen. So if you can invest in extra lighting, I would say if you're going to do video content, having a ring light, having extra lighting props there helps 100%. That's an easy sort of fix that you can do, especially if you're on a budget, that's an easy kind of fix you can do, right? In terms of audio... Audio, there's probably a lot of information out there. Yes, there's mics that you can invest in that are thousands of pounds and you've got some that are, you know, a hundred pounds. But with audio, which usually a big thing is just how acoustically treated the space you are is. So you want a space that to avoid echo, as much echo as possible. So that's that would be a big factor. And also um, just avoiding like loads of background noise, right? So. Yeah staying away from loud environments, trying to minimise the background noise and just being in a space that's got a decent enough acoustic treatment. I'll say those are maybe the two the two tips that you can take quite easily that would boost your production value without costing your arm and a leg. Great tip. I always say the most important bit of audio kit or equipment you can have is a decent room because you can spend £400 on a microphone yeah, and it'll yeah. still sound terrible if you're recording in a toilet. It's like the amount of shows and podcasts yeah. and audio that I hear in kitchens or lounges with kind of big echoey surfaces rather than something with nice soft furnishings yeah. that gives you a nice dampened sound is incredible. So let's move on to exactly. your fourth pitfall, which is, it's an interesting one, this. It's preparation and controlling your guests. Yeah. Okay. So, um, preparation with guests. So preparation with guests falls. I've seen so many different different situations, but a common one is they've booked a guest in to come to our studio, and then the guest cancels. And then obviously the the creator, the the podcaster, they've booked their time, and usually when a guest cancels, that means essentially that's kind of wasted time. Sure. There's no sort of strategy to recreate content that might be useful with that time period. So how do I recommend you avoid guest cancellations, right? So one, especially if you're booking a studio or you are fi- or you have a fixed time, always have alternatives. So if they can't meet you in person or come in person, things like Riverside, having Google Meet, stuff like that, these are good alternatives to have, right? So you can still get the content that you want. Two, if you do have a guest that's coming to meet you at a designated space, whether it's a studio, maybe it's a lounge or whatever, I would always say, if possible, book and pay for their travel because that avoids an extra thing that they don't have to do and it puts more in control of you, right? Sure. As soon as they're confirmed, book them the Uber, whatever, it's their train ticket, but you make sure you handle, you cover the cost of making sure they arrive to your destination, right? That's another way. But let's say let's say that doesn't work. Let's say you've done that, they can't make it, they can't do the virtual thing, you book their travel, but let's say, for example, there's an emergency, they can't get out of, it's done. I would say the preparation then comes in, a backup plan should be, okay, cool, I've got this time, I've got this set up, what other piece of content can I create within this time period? What alternative content can I create by myself? If it's me by myself as an individual host or me and or me and my co-host, what can we talk about? What can we produce that can still give our audience value and still make use of our time? Sure. Right? So that's what I mean by preparation. So you've got your plan A. Your plan A, guest comes in, all goes well, it's on time. But plan B is also, okay, cool, in case this guest can't turn up, in case for whatever reason they can't make it, what can me and my co-host, what can me and my team produce within this time period that's going to still give value? 
other thing with preparation, so when people do have a guest, what I really appreciated about coming onto this show was there was pre-preparation. They said, okay, cool. We're going to outline the top five mistakes so I can prepare myself beforehand mm. and be ready to talk on a topic as well, right? To give your audience as much value as possible. But sometimes I've seen people invite guests and the guest is the first time they're hearing the questions, right? And I don't, I don't know, maybe for some content types, it works in terms of more comedy and maybe comedy or more like pop culture maybe might work well but even within that generally speaking if we look at like the top forms of content in terms of tv radio all these kind of if we look at these industries which have you know been the pinnacle of quality content for for decades and even centuries they usually let the guests know what's going on, right? The better the guest is prepared, the better they can give value, the better they can entertain your audience and you can see the flow of the conversation You can and you can control it as well. So I would say, yeah, when you do have guests, make sure they know what they're going to be talking about or what they're walking into yeah. because then that doesn't leave for any surprises and they're also prepared to give as much value as possible. It was really interesting when you sent these through, um, because my initial reaction to seeing someone suggest that you should show a guest your questions beforehand was, and it was the journalistic side of me that was like, oh no, oh no, you don't do that. But I think when you take a step back, it's like, it depends what that content is. And a show like, like this one, where you're, you're ultimately, you're, you're presenting something to me, you're kind of presenting your theories and your five things, 100%, you need to have that preparation and there needs to be kind of that outline. But if I was talking to, and there's another show I create, which is a music show where I interview bands and artists, I would never, I, I tell the guest the theme, but I would never reveal the questions because I want that so. genuine live reaction. I want that authenticity. So I guess that's the assessment you have to make, isn't it? You have to look at the type of content yeah. you're creating and go, what kind of preparation what heads up do i need to give my guest if it is a guest podcast that allows me to generate the best possible content off the back of that yeah exactly yeah yeah it all, it all depends on yeah like i said the type if it's like i said if it's something where you want a genuine reaction it's good essentially i think when you become a seasoned you become seasoned in sort of hosting having guests making your show i think obviously you get the knack you have your natural feel and that the need for preparation or as much preparation reduces. Sure. But I think usually for new for newcomers who do bring on guests, I think even if they don't let them know the questions, just having a call with the guests beforehand yeah. is a great way just to gauge the chemistry, gauge how it's going to go, gauge the flow of it at least. So at least there's a, a bit of rapport which then can translate onto onto the microphone or onto the camera when you do actually record. Yeah, it's a great shout. It makes the guest feel more comfortable as well if they've spoken to the person they're talking to before rather than uh, just kind of going straight in and hitting the ground running. So your final pitfall is expecting immediate results. Whenever we embark on any new sort of journey, we're all very optimistic, right? And we all think glitz and glam, right? We all think, I'm going to start this thing. I'm victim to it as well. Um, We're all victim to it, right? But there has to be a part of you or there has to be a realization that anything usually anything i'm not just even talking about podcasting i'm just talking in life in general anything that's sort of worthwhile does take time to build and i think people underestimate sometimes how hard it is 
or how how lengthy or how long of a process it does it can take to build an audience. I think audience building, we just think, oh, I'm gonna record this, I'm gonna pop it on Spotify, I'm gonna put it on YouTube, and you know, my audience is gonna come. And I'm gonna be a number one on iTunes or whatever. But actually no, that's not, unless you're a big celebrity and who already has built your audience over years doing something else, usually it's not going to happen. Or you do something outrageous that goes viral, but even viral moments, they're kind of prepared anyway. Do you know what I mean? There's so many different things that go into it. But usually when you start, it's going to be you and every listener you acquire, especially in the beginning, it's going to take some work and it's going to take some time and consistency. And I think just having that in your head, in your in your mindset, just going into this, can avoid that pod thing that I think that that does happen after seven episodes. But after that, post that, that's when the realization clocks in that okay, cool, I've released seven, but maybe only ten people have listened to it. Yeah, that's not insult. That's not a fade. That's just the reality of how this thing works. So in order to kind of avoid that, one, I think a question that every podcaster or content creator that comes into this or wants to embark on this, they need to ask themselves, why are they doing this? What is the overall gain or value or what's the end goal that they're actually aiming towards? So depending on your on the type of business, individual or brand you are, you're going to have very varying results. And I'll, and I'll give some examples, some real life ones that I've experienced and some that I've seen in the industry. So for example, Foot Asylum have a YouTube channel and they have um, different sort of influencers that come in and they do things like, um, it's almost like a, a spoof sort of dating sort of, some sort of spoof sort of dating thing. And they have all these influencers doing different challenges where they bring in someone and they try and have like a speed date with them. And then they see who was more successful out of the influencers or the content creators that participated and right, the question might be, okay, why is Foot Asylum, a trainer selling company, predominantly making content about speed dating? What's the correlation there? And their podcast plays the role or their show plays the role of keeping engaged with an audience that they will eventually sell to. So the purpose of the show might not be to sell, it's not to sell trainers because none of those shows focused on their feet, but... Um, it's focused on that interaction. It's focused on something that their audience who is young, they want funny, entertaining content, which is surrounded by data, which is relevant to large portions of the audience, right? But they're not going to sell to them straight away. They're going to build that audience, continue engaging with them, showing that audience that we un- at Foot Asylum understands you. We, we understand what you like. We, we get you and we can connect with you. And then maybe later later down the line they might feature some ads to that audience when they're watching another YouTube channel another time so that's Foot Asylum with that show another show that I've seen they worked with us for like three four years and I saw their journey so it was this um three guys who made this um football punditry show they wanted to show football punditry from an audience or background that doesn't that isn't necessarily represented in mainstream sort of Sky Sports covers like three young lads who grew up yeah, from diverse backgrounds, given their takes and opinions on the week's the week's show. So they started that four years ago. And I remember when they started, they started again, similar story, 10 listens, 10 views, but they just kept consistent, consistent. And four years now, they got signed to a publishing company, like a larger media company who pays them per episode to create their content. The same content that they did before, 
that they started not getting paid for, they're now getting paid for it. So their their journey was different. So so content for them was one, they wanted to create, they wanted a career as a content creator. They, they wanted that as a career, but in order to do so, they needed to create content, be visible sure. and build an audience so then they can then sell that and, and monetize that at a later phase as well, right? One last example that I'll, I'll give you another relevant a sort of yeah one that we work closely with is a journal the publishing sort of magazine and their traditional media traditional media in terms of blogging magazine and stuff like that and they wanted to create a podcast and a youtube channel as a different means to engage with the audience because the time is changing right again they're trying to convert an audience that they that pre-exist into another medium whereas they're traditionally known for their magazine again they started their their YouTube channel potentially not having the thousands of views that they anticipated, but they knew that this would be a transition because there's a different strategy for their business in order to communicate to their audience, right? And lo and behold, they've kept consistent and now, you know, doing hundreds and thousands of views on their YouTube channel. Each sort of different scenario has a different reason for creating a show, for creating content, all different reasons. But having that reason and knowing what the end goal is yeah. really helps to overcome those moments when it is difficult when you are looking at it and you're looking at your analytics and it's not the most overwhelming you're thinking am I wasting my time should I do something else just know that in all these scenarios building that audience takes time it didn't happen immediately and for some of them like for foot asylum building that audience is a very costly exercise right so don't expect immediate results. If you do want faster results, of course, if you've got the budget, you can pay for marketing, you can pay for influencers, content creators, all these different things to expedite your results. But usually, audience building is a long process. And just know that, understand that, that will help you overcome pod fail and just be very focused and clear on the reason why you're doing this and what you anticipate to get out of it, basically. Yeah, it's a great point. And knowing what success looks like isn't necessarily going to be audience as well. I think that's important to keep in mind. I think it's, if you get a thousand True. listens to your podcast, which isn't a huge amount of people in terms of media terms, that puts you in the top 5% of podcasters. So many podcasts are going to get way below True. that. But that doesn't mean that project's not a success. If you've got a podcast that has 10 incredibly dedicated listeners and your intention for that podcast is, for example, creating sales leads and all 10 of those people go on to become a customer of yours, if you're doing branded content, then that is a success. So setting out in those early days, what success looks like, what is the goals of this podcast can be really important and not necessarily expecting, as you say, if your goal is audience, then that does take a while to develop and it takes you a while to get there. Michael, thank you very much for your time on VoiceWork Sound Business. A strong five pitfalls. And if people want to talk to you further, want to see the work you're doing with Outset Studio, I've put all the links in the podcast bio so they can find you there. But thank you very much for your time on VoiceWork Sound Business. Really appreciate it, man. Really appreciate it. 100% in agreement with Michael on those five classic mistakes and how disruptive they can be to a podcast in the early stages. We see them repeated again and again and again, but some top tips on how you can avoid those if you are just starting out on your new podcast. All the notes, resources, links are in the podcast description, so click down there if you want to find out more or if you want to see what Outset Studios can offer you. 
And if your interest is sports specifically and you're just about to start a new sport-based podcast, then why not talk to us at the Sports Social Podcast Network? We can help you on your journey. We can give you advice. And obviously, we can host your new show on the Sports Social Podcast Network as well. Get in touch via the website sport-social.co.uk. And if you want help with your next audio project, well, the team at VoiceWorks are all ears, excuse the pun, voiceworks.ai.